Hi folks, this is Rui. And Dave. And welcome to So Many Books. So Little Time. Today we continue with Ella Montgomery's Anne of Green Gables at chapter 31, where the brook and river meet. Hooray! Music? So, uh, shall I ask how you are, even though I kind of know? Rue's a little sleepy today. I'm a wee bit sleepy, and I realized it's probably lack of sleep. That is, <laughs> I know. Hmm. <laughs> like I, Sherlock, you've cracked the case. It's going, oh, why am I so, oh yeah, that's why I'm so tired. I didn't really sleep properly. Um, it's, it's occasionally I go through weird little phases of night terrors and sleep disturbances and insomnia and it's it's that it, it comes with funny it wouldn't be an episode without us mentioning the weather it often comes comes with major weather changes well yeah the the last two weeks has been a wild ride we've had the the rain flooding i think we mentioned on our last podcast and just today it seems to have cleared up so of course because the sun's out everything's baking yeah, the water's quite high where we are, but we're relatively protected. Mm, there, yeah, and I've heard that while the torrent of downpour is probably going to cease, we're going to get showers for the next few days. Yeah, well, there was a cyclone and it disintegrated. <laughs> A disintegrating cyclone off our coast that will do it. So it became a tropical storm, which of course. Now, an odd fact, I don't know if you noticed for the last few days, there's been a bit of an aroma wafting in the in the air in our, our local town. No, no, you didn't notice the slight sewagey smell. No. Yeah. My mom and I had been noticing it since roughly Monday going, what is going on? Oh. And it was, um, and I overheard on the radio, I think yesterday, oh, 91 of the, the sewage pumps um, had decided to malfunction and not work properly. And that's why there was sewage and toilets backing up all up and down the city. Ew. I know. And my, my favorite part of it was the warning, please be advised that some toilets may experience backflow. And I just went, no, no, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I refuse to accept this. We are, no one's allowed to poo for the next. <laughs> it was just a humorous take on it, but it didn't really. Well, no, we were lucky. Our house was spared. But, um, yeah. I'm lucky my house was spared. Uh, where I'm working, the, the lady who's hired me, she's Indian, and she had uh, some beans and rice, and it looked very nice yesterday. So I said, ooh, what's that? And she goes, oh, well, I can give you a bit. I found out, but I warn you, it's spicy. What's your spice tolerance like? And I'm like, look, it's not great, but fair. I've, I've really enjoyed spicy foods over the last few years. <laughs> you, you've, you've upgraded from mayonnaise to... <laughs> Not well, that you eat mayonnaise, that's the funny part of this, but... <laughs> oh, well, actually, as an aside, last night I saw the season premiere of Hot Ones on YouTube with Margot Robbie, and he asked her what her tolerance was like, and she goes, well, I was raised eating a lot of mashed potatoes, and on the second wing, she's like, this is the spiciest thing I've ever eaten. <laughs> yes. But she was a champ. She got through all ten. Yeah. Um, but, be, so, back back to um, that, the, the uh, she, she, she yes. gave me a small amount on the plate and um it was very nice it was about a six on my scale mm, mm. um and i only had a small amount and i said yeah if i had a larger serve this might have been a problem but 
last night was a problem. There were consequences. Yes. There were consequences. There was an ending to this story, um, so to speak. No, um, no, no, not an ending, a series of endings. Oh, no. <laughs> Speaking of Margot Robbie, and it's funny because um, our friend Shane, uh, we he, he popped by this week and um, we were watching, was that last week? I can't keep track of time anymore. He popped by. And we we decided to watch, firstly, a lot of bad YouTube videos, and I mean bad, really bad YouTube videos. You know those those craft videos that just shouldn't be a thing. Okay, so so just um... I'm not mentioning the names of the channels quite deliberately because I don't want to promote them. Oh, you mean like people creating like tiny kitchens and all this stuff? That no, no, make you those go, are cool. Those Why? are cool. They're actually crafts that are cool. More the this is a life hack, and then they do something random with hot glue and and toothpaste, and it's just not meant okay. to be. And they don't actually work most of the time. But you know, that's the kind of bad YouTube video I I approve of, rather than the I'm going to rant about this movie for half an hour. Good point. But it it was we were watching it for entertainment, and then we th- he said, "Oh yeah, Margot Robbie was on Hot Ones." Both he and I know Margot, not like that we're friends or personal thing, but we'd encountered her on the coast from when she used to Oh, yeah, because she, she is a Gold she Coaster. She's a Gold Coaster. She used to work in Broadbeach. She used to work in the local subway in Broadbeach and, and other places. And I knew her from when she did a short acting cor- a short course in acting at, at, at just like a short one that was run by NIDA. Um, I was developing techniques for teaching, side note. And so, yeah, she was in the same intake and she was even then very driven, very dedicated, mm. very like really. Thing. But even that, uh, so, so we were watching her eat the hot ones. Oh, so, so you saw it. Yeah. We saw it. And it was funny because um, we we're kind of speculating, well, living on the coast, not having had, especially working in Broadbeach, not having had Thai food. At, bon- at Bon Chu Thai or like that's pretty unusual like usually you get a little bit of spice at least that's, that's true I mean one of the things I love about uh, maybe Australia in general but definitely here on the Gold Coast there's such a large influx of at least all the countries of Asia Indian to, to Korean to yeah. the, uh, the, Thai the Malaysian 50 plus nations of, in, of uh, Asia as opposed to the Three or four that most people seem to be familiar but, with. But there is a variety in world foods and especially in terms of spicy foods. Yes. And that's why, I mean, yeah, to be given, to be fair, it's become more so in the last yes. few years, uh, maybe 20 years. Um, and it's been maybe a little bit under 20 years since Margo did that short course and was working at Subway and whatnot. So mm. it's, it's, it's been less than that, but still. Mm. Um, however, we were looking at it and going... Uh, odd comment that came up was that even when she was making the subway sandwiches like when she was on duty you knew you were going to get the best subway sandwich possible because whatever she did she did with excellence like she that was very dedicated but we were still very curious as to how she'd managed to dodge all things spicy even just you know every time i go to the subway i get lots of jalapenos on myself i mean even just uh, maybe she was just meaning that she it wasn't something that she was used to having on a regular basis, kind of wasn't mm. regularly exposed to. But it was pretty funny because, yeah. Spi- Look, to be fair, spice tolerance is a combination of genetics and exposure, and therefore we cannot 
It's it, and it's not a judgment if someone cannot have spicy food and cannot tolerate it, but, or but vice versa. Here, Although here, we will mock it quite quite soundly, it will be mocked by those people who actually season their foods. Um, yeah. Well, what was it? A few weeks ago, we went over to our friend Kenneth, who's a spice aficionado. Yes. He used to put his body through the ringer with the how long can you last uh, competitions. Yes. Yes. Uh, he has re- since retired for the uh, for his health, um, but he still loves the intensely spicy food. Yes. Uh, and funny enough, his brother gave him as a present the last stab sauce from Hot Ones, and it, that was the last stab. It was, and it uh, it was a uh, we got some uh, what was it? It was popcorn chicken or chicken tender? No, it was just like uh, um, potato gems. Yes, it was it was uh, frozen chicken and potato gems, mm. um, and he put some on a plate, and I I took like a p- potato gem. Oh, it was a popcorn chicken thing. Yep, um, and I just dabbed the popcorn chicken in the last dab sauce, just the most minuscule amount, put it in my mouth, and instantly my whole mouth just warmed up immediately. It was. I'm like, okay, yeah, th- this is intense. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I found it really sharp and spicy, but yeah, I, hmm. I, I, I still never want to look at the bomb. I don't even want to be in the same room as the bomb. Like, it, sorry, that's a, one of the sources. The bomb, yeah, the bomb. Uh, this is not something that ASIO or the FBI need to worry about. This has nothing to do with those kind of things. But. Um, I never want to be in the same room as that because it just looks horrible. Well, I had the thought yesterday. It's never crossed my mind before, but um, the pe- the people behind the scenes who cook those wings for that program, the fumes, how do they put up with that? Goggles and a good, uh, um, what's it called? Mask. Uh, no, the, I know the German word. I can't remember the English word. I'm having a moment. Dunstabzugshaube. What is the English word? Well, you're you're asking the wrong. Pro- I know you're asking rhetorically, but I, I'm the wrong <laughs> person. To My be brain asked. just went nope. Well, uh, the thing the thing that's over the stove and goes <laughs> ventilation. Yeah, let's go with that. So the vent over your stove, the thing that yeah, the fan, the, stove the oven fan. fan. I don't know. I've just I just don't. Now bringing this all back to M. <laughs> it's a good use say because I was about to. So as we bring it back to Anne, who lives in the um, colonial uh, territory of Canada. Prince Edward Island. Prince Edward Island and the colonial territory of Canada, uh, which, like much of the world, was colonized by various nations who colonized for the spices and the resources and then went on to invent food that doesn't use any of said spices or an ability to tolerate. So see, I had to link it somehow to the spices and flavors. Conquer the whole world, try and conquer it for the spice trade, and then create dishes that don't use it. Hey, pepper is rather spicy, man. Not even pepper, like, <laughs> I'm talking salt. If you, if they, and even no salt. I, I don't understand seasoning of salt Oh, foods. people who don't want salt on things, I will never understand Well, no, if you, if you can't tolerate salt, there's usually a reason. Oh, medical exemption, yes, but just people who... Don't put some sort of seasoning on their food and just shove... Even salt, yeah. Because salt is the most basic of basic seasons. If 
if I'm eating vegetables and I'm like, eh, these aren't prepared well, I will salt them. And then don't, don't let Japan it. hear you, let you like. Don't let the entire nation of Japan let you hear, uh, be heard that you said salt is the most basic. It is like there's so many salts. There's like a million different kinds of. Salt. Oh yes, yes, like everything. There, there's varieties, but no, no, as seasoning, it is. It like, is like a fundamental. The foundation. It's like. I mean, I admire someone who can just eat a straight boiled potato with zero flavoring added. But what what was it? Um, why I don't know if just we talked why? about it on here. Uh, it's the old story where, like a a prince asked his uh, fiance about how much uh, she loved him, and I, she said, "I I love you like uh, as much as salt." And he was quite offended, and he sent her off like into exile or something, and. Then, like, uh, I think it was his cook or someone else uh, to try and explain to him what she meant, cooked his food without salt for the next week. Yeah. And he realized very quickly. Uh, <laughs> if someone knows the exact story that one's from, I'm remembering it as being the the daughter, a daughter to a king, and the, the king who had, like, three daughters, and then asked them, how much do you... Ah, uh, yeah. One of those well, Like proper... a King Lear situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. But, yes... <clears throat> So, moving away from kings and queens... To brooks and rivers. To brooks and rivers, where the brook and river meet. Anne had her good summer and enjoyed it wholeheartedly. She and Diana fairly lived outdoors, reveling in all the delights that Lover's Lane and the Dryad's Bubble and Willowmere and Victoria Island offered. So, remember, she just had a very intensive school period. Mm-hmm. And she just she she told Marilla, "I'm putting my books in a in the trunk in the attic. I am not looking at them. I am not touching them. All my school books are getting packed away because I cannot. I'm just going to really enjoy this last summer because it feels like it's going to be the last summer of my childhood. Mm. Yeah, the last summer she believes in fairies. You know, well." really believes in fairies or, or acknowledges or in, to others that <laughs> yes, or is able to actually talk about it. Yes. <laughs> Marilla offered no objections to Anne's... Okay, there's going to be a slur coming up. Just a heads up to anyone of Roma descent. I'm going to try that again. Marilla offered no objections to Anne's gypsyings. The Spencervale doctor, who had come the night Minnie May had the croup, met Anne at the house of a patient one afternoon early in vacation, looked her over sharply, screwed up his mouth, shook his head, and sent a message to Marilla Cuthbert by another person. It was... Keep that red-headed girl of yours in the open air all summer and don't let her read books until she gets more spring into her step. So she had obviously really pushed it. Mm. This message frightened Marilla wholesomely. That's an unusual way of using wholesome. As in the whole. The entirety, yeah, mm. completely. This message frightened Marilla wholesomely. She read Anne's death warrant by consumption in it unless it was scrupulously obeyed. As a result... Anne had the golden summer of her life as far as freedom and frolic went. She walked, rode, buried, and dreamed to her heart's content, and when September came, she was as bright-eyed and alert with a step that would have satisfied the Spencervale doctor and a heart full of ambition and zest once more. I feel just like studying with might and main, she declared, as she brought her books down from the attic. 
Oh, you good old friends. I'm glad to see your honest faces once more. Yes, even you, Geometry. <laughs> I've had a perfectly beautiful summer, Marilla, and now I'm rejoicing as a strong man to run a race, as Mr. Allen said last Sunday. Doesn't Mr. Allen preach magnificent sermons? Mrs. Lynn says he is improving every day, and the first thing we know, some city church will gobble him up, and then we'll be left and have to turn a two and break in another green preacher. But I don't see the use of meeting trouble halfway, do you, Marilla? I think it would be better just to enjoy Mr. Allen while we have him. If I were a man, I think I'd be a minister. They can have such an influence for good if their theology is sound. And it must be thrilling to preach splendid sermons and stir your hearers' hearts. Why can't women be ministers, Marilla? I asked Mrs. Lynde that, and she was shocked and said it would be a scandalous thing. She said there might be female ministers in the States, and she believed there was, but thank goodness we hadn't gotten to that stage in Canada yet, and she hoped we never would. But I don't see why. I think women would make splendid ministers. This is quite radical. Even for today, sadly. Well, for some groups today, but this is quite radical for, yes, for Anne in the setting, but also for an author to have written that. Hmm. I think how much of this is the author reflecting on things as well. We've said this before, but we feel a little bit that Anne is, because she represents viewing the world with fresh eyes, she's also a per. it's like that open, that honest message from the author as well, in a mm -hmm. part. Yeah. When there's a social to be got up, or a church tea, or anything else to raise money, the women have to turn to and do the work. I'm sure Mrs. Lynde can pray every bit as well as Superintendent Bell, and I've no doubt she could preach too with a little practice. Yes, I believe she could, said Marilla dryly. <laughs> she does plenty of unofficial preaching as it is. <laughs> Nobody has much of a chance to go wrong in Avonlea with Rachel to oversee them. Marilla, said Anne in a burst of confidence, I want to tell you something and ask you what you think about it. It has me worried terribly. On Sunday afternoons, that is, when I think specially about such matters, I do really want to be good, and when I'm with you or Mrs. Allen or Miss Stacy, I want it more than ever, and I want to do just what would please you and what you would approve of. But mostly, when I'm with Mrs. Lynde, I feel desperately wicked, as if I wanted to go and do the very thing she tells me I oughtn't to do. I feel irresistibly tempted to do it. Now what do you think is the reason I feel like that? Do you think it's because I'm really bad and unregenerate? Uh, it's probably based on the concept of spiritual regeneration through the messages. Of the, the idea that Christ uh, or Let's any... Have a look. I'm fairly sure it's... Uh, not reforming. Yes. Yep. Or showing repentance. Yes, yeah. Yep, yep. So someone who has not been trans transformed or regenerated mm. by spiritual teachings, insert your spiritual teaching of mm. choice. Marilla looked dubious for a moment. Then she laughed. <laughs> if you are, I guess I am too, Anne, for Rachel often has that very effect on me. I sometimes think she'd have more of an influence for good, as you say yourself, if she didn't keep nagging people to do right. There should have been a special commandment against nagging. But there, I shouldn't talk so. Rachel is a good Christian woman, and she means well. There isn't a kinder soul in Avonlea, and she never shirks her share of work. That's very open for Marilla. Very. And she laughed. Yeah, she didn't hide the laughing. Yeah. 
I'm very glad you feel the same, said Anne decidedly. It's so encouraging. I shan't worry so much over that after this, but I dare say there'll be other things to worry me. They keep coming up new all the time, things to perplex you, you know. You settle one question, and there's another right after. There are so many things to be thought over and decided when you're beginning to grow up. It keeps me busy all the time thinking them over and deciding what is right. It's a serious thing to grow up, isn't it, Marilla? But when I have such good friends as you and Matthew and Mrs. Allen and Miss Stacy, I ought to grow up successfully, and I'm sure it will be my own fault if I don't. I feel it's a great responsibility because I have only the one chance. If I don't grow up right, I can't go back and begin over again. I've grown two inches this summer, Marilla. Mr. Gillis measured me at Ruby's party. That sounds very creepy, actually, but I'm sure there's no televisions and there's no other entertainment, so let's measure their heights. Never mind. I'm so glad you made my new dresses longer. That dark green one is so pretty, and it was sweet of you to put on the flounce. Of course, I know it wasn't really necessary, but flounces are so stylish this fall, and Josie Pye has flounces on all her dresses. I know I'll be able to study better because of mine. I shall have such a comfortable feeling deep down in my mind about that flounce. <laughs> it's worth something to have that, admitted Marilla. Marilla is softening. What is this? Mm. Mm. She's understanding more. She's grasping what motivates Anne, what drives her, what distracts her, what strengthens her. Even those little things of a tiny bit of fashionable nature mm. has helped her not feel different and standing out. Or even just having the whole summer of letting her do as she pleases. and she, Yeah, she's actually, yeah. Miss Stacy came back to Avonlea School and found all her pupils eager for work once again. Especially did the Queen's class gird up their loins for the fray. For at the end of the coming year, dimly shadowing their pathway already, loomed up that fateful thing known as the entrance. At the thought of which, one and all felt their hearts sink into their very shoes. Suppose they did not pass. That thought was doomed to haunt Anne through the waking hours of that winter, Sunday afternoons inclusive, to the almost entire exclusion of moral and theological problems. When Anne had bad dreams, she found herself staring miserably at past lists of the entrance exams, where Gilbert Blythe's name was blazoned at the top, and in which hers did not appear at all. But it was a jolly, busy, happy, swift-flying winter. Schoolwork was as interesting, class rivalry as absorbing as of yore. New worlds of thought, feeling and ambition, fresh, fascinating fields of unexplored knowledge seemed to be opening out before Anne's eager eyes. Hills peeped o'er hill, and Alps on Alps arose. Much of all this was due to Miss Stacy's tactful, careful, broad-minded guidance. She led her class to think and explore and discover for themselves and encouraged straying from the old beaten paths to a degree that quite shocked Mrs. Lynde and the school trustees who viewed all innovations on established methods rather dubiously. Apart from her studies, Anne expanded socially, for Marilla, mindful of the Spencervale doctor's dictum, no longer vetoed occasional outings. The debating club flourished and gave several concerts, there were one or two parties almost verging on grown-up affairs. There were sleigh drives and skating frolics galore. Between times, Anne grew shooting up so rapidly that Marilla was astonished one day when they were standing side by side to find the girl was taller than herself. Why, Anne, how you've grown, she said almost unbelievingly. 
A sigh followed on the words. Marilla felt a queer regret over Anne's inches. The child she had learned to love had vanished somehow, and here was this tall, serious-eyed girl of fifteen with the thoughtful brows and the proudly poised little head in her place. Marilla loved the girl as much as she had loved the child, but she was conscious of a queer, sorrowful sense of loss. And that night, when Anne had gone to prayer meeting with Diana, Marilla sat alone in the wintry twilight and indulged in the weakness of a cry. Matthew, coming in with a lantern, caught her at it and gazed at her in such consternation that Marilla had to laugh through her tears. I was thinking about Anne, she explained. She's got to be such a big girl, and she'll probably be away from us next winter. I'll miss her terrible. She'll be able to come home often, comforted Matthew, to whom Anne was as yet and always would be the little eager girl he had brought home from Bright River on that June evening four years before. The branch railroad will be built to Carmody by that time. It won't be the same thing as having her here all the time, sighed Marilla gloomily, determined to enjoy the, her luxury of grief, uncomforted. But there, men can't understand these things. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> there were other changes in Anne, no less real than the physical changes. For one thing, she became much quieter. Perhaps she thought all the more and dreamed as much as ever, but she certainly talked less. Marilla noticed and commented on this also. You don't chatter half as much as you used to, Anne, nor use half as many big words. What has come over you? Anne coloured and laughed a little as she dropped her book and looked dreamily out of the window, where big fat red buds were bursting out on the creeper in response to the lure of the spring sunshine. I don't know. I don't want to talk as much, she said, denting her chin thoughtfully with her forefinger. It's nicer to think dear, pretty thoughts and keep them in one's heart like treasures. I don't like to have them laughed at or wondered over. And somehow I don't want to use big words any more. It's almost a pity, isn't it? Now that I'm really growing big enough to say them if I wanted to. It's fun to be almost grown up in some ways, but it's not the kind of fun I expected, Marilla. There's so much to learn and do and think that there isn't time for big words. Besides, Miss Stacy says the short ones are much stronger and better. She makes us write all our essays as simply as possible. It was hard at first. I was so used to crowding in all the fine big words I could think of, and I thought of any number of them. But I've got used to it now, and I see it so much better. What has become of your story club? I haven't heard of you speak of it for a long time. The story club isn't in existence any longer. We hadn't time for it. And anyhow, I think we had gotten tired of it. It was silly to be writing about love and murder and elopement and mysteries. Miss Stacy sometimes has us write a story for training in composition, but she won't let us write anything but what might happen in Avonlea in our own lives, and she criticizes it very sharply, and makes us criticize our own too. I never thought my compositions had so many faults until I began to look for them myself. I feel so ashamed. I wanted to give up altogether. But Miss Stacy said I could learn to write well if only I trained myself to be my own severest critic. And so I am trying to. You've only two more months before the entrance, said Marilla. Do you think you'll be able to get through? Anne shivered. I don't know. Sometimes I think I'll be all right, and 
Then I get horribly afraid. We've studied hard and Miss Stacy has drilled us thoroughly, but we mayn't get through for all that. We've each got a stumbling block. Mine is geometry, of course, and Jane's is Latin, and Ruby's and Charlie's is algebra, and Josie's is arithmetic. Moody Spurgeon says he feels it in his bones that he is going to fail in English history. Miss Stacy is going to give us examinations in June just as hard as we'll have at the entrance and mark us just as strictly, so we'll have some idea. I wish it was all over, Marilla. It haunts me. Sometimes I wake up in the night and wonder what I'll do if I don't pass. Why, go to school next year and try again, said Marilla unconcernedly. I don't believe I'd have the heart for it. It would be such a disgrace to fail, especially if if the others passed. And I get so nervous in an examination that I'm likely to make a mess of it. I wish I had nerves like Jane Andrews. Nothing rattles her. Anne sighed, and dragging her eyes from the witcheries of the spring world, the beckoning day of breeze and blue, and the green things upspringing in the garden, buried herself resolutely in her book. There would be other springs, but if she did not succeed in passing the entrance, Anne felt convinced that she would never recover sufficiently to enjoy them. So she has changed. Mm. A little more thoughtful. A little quieter, reflecting, introspective. Maybe that's the word, introspective. She's a little bit more aware. I don't know what I... I think, yes, I think we are We are trained to be our severest critics, but I guess that, that's the... I think Anne was always very critical of herself, but she didn't. She wasn't able to critical, critically assess from the perspective of others as well. well. Well, also, her creativity was one of her strongest assets, and she could see she flourished in it so much more than everyone around her, especially with the story club. So now that Miss Stacy's kind of had her turn that in on her own creativity it's uh probably uh i wouldn't say dampened it at all it's just made her more channeled aware. It. she's more channeled more directed like if she wants to express certain things she i think also it was saying she's been very preoccupied with entrance she's maybe that's haunting her a little bit as she puts it and that's also going to be something that puts a dampener on oh the the anxiety of um getting into a school i mean yeah i'd say that's probably yeah and especially you know like to marilla yeah it's just a oh you'll try again next year but for anne it's like oh oh, no no no." especially if gilbert got in like i couldn't live that down no i mean she would learn to deal but yeah it would it would be a a very difficult challenge because a heavy blow well she doesn't she doesn't deal very well with um she's very prideful which i mean not prideful in a bad way except for that one moment, but she has pride. She doesn't like her dignity being compromised, which is good. Mm. Good sense of dignity. Yeah. So the next chapter? The next chapter. Onwards. Chapter 32. The pass list is out. I wonder what that's about. <laughs> With the end of June came the close of the term and the close of Miss Stacy's rule in Avonlea School. That rhymed really nicely. <laughs> Anne and Diana walked home that evening feeling very sober indeed. Red eyes and damp handkerchiefs bore convincing testimony to the fact that Miss Stacy's farewell words must have been quite as touching as Mr. Phillips had been under similar circumstances three years before. Diana looked back at the schoolhouse from the foot of the spruce hill and sighed deeply. It does seem as if it was the end of everything, doesn't it? 
she said dismally. You oughtn't feel half as badly as I do, said Anne, hunting vainly for a dry spot on her handkerchief. You'll be back again next winter, but I suppose I've left the dear old school forever, if I have good luck, that is. It won't be a bit the same. Miss Stacy won't be there, nor you, nor Jane, nor Ruby, probably. <laughs> I like the confidence in Ruby's ability is not as high. I shall have to sit all alone, for I couldn't bear to have another deskmate after you. Oh, we have had jolly times, haven't we, Anne? It's dreadful to think they're all over. Two big tears rolled down by Diana's nose. If you would stop crying, I could, said Anne imploringly. Just as soon as I put away my hanky, I see you bringing up again, and that starts me off again. As Mrs. Lynde says, if you can't be cheerful, be as cheerful as you can. After all, I dare say I'll be back next year. This is one of the times I know I'm not going to pass. They are getting alarmingly frequent. So she's getting these, these moments. She gets the feeling of impending doom. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why, you came out splendidly in the exams Miss Stacy gave. Yes, but those exams didn't make me nervous. When I think of the real thing, you can't imagine what a horrid, cold, fluttery feeling comes around my heart. And then, my number is 13, and Josie Pye says it's so unlucky. I am not superstitious, and I know it can make no difference. But still, I wish it wasn't 13. Oh, I do wish I was going in with you, said Diana. Wouldn't we have a perfectly elegant time? But I suppose you'll have to cram in the evenings. No, Miss Stacy has made us promise not to open a book at all. She says it would only tire and confuse us and we are to go out walking and not think about the exams at all and go to bed early. It's good advice, but I expect it will be hard to follow. Good advice is apt to be, I think. Prissy Andrews told me that she sat up half the night every night of her entrance week and crammed for dear life, and I had determined to sit up at least as long as she did. It was so kind of your Aunt Josephine to ask me to stay in Beechwood while I'm in town. You'll write to me while you're in, won't you? So they have to go to Charlottetown to do the exam, yeah. I'll write Tuesday night and tell you how the first day goes, promised Anne. I'll be haunting the post office Wednesday, vowed <laughs> Diana. Anne went to town the following Monday, and on Wednesday Diana haunted the post office as agreed and got her letter. Dearest Diana, wrote Anne. Here it is, Tuesday night, and I'm writing this in the library at Beechwood. Last night I was horribly lonesome all alone in my room, and wished so much you were there with me. I couldn't cram, because I'd promised Miss Stacy not to, but it was as hard as keeping from opening my history as it used to be to keep from reading a story before my lessons were learned. This morning Miss Stacy came for me, and we went to the academy, calling for Jane and Ruby and Josie on our way. Ruby asked me to feel her hands, and they were as cold as ice. Josie said I looked as if I hadn't slept a wink, and she didn't believe I was strong enough to stand the grind of the teacher's course, even if I did get through. Josie. There are times and seasons, even yet, when I don't feel that I have made any great headway in learning to like Josie Pye. <laughs> uh, oh, some, some people you just can't. She's like the very definition of a frenemy. <laughs> when we reached the academy there were scores of students there from all over the island the first person we saw was moody spurgeon sitting on the steps and muttering away to himself jane asked him what on earth he was doing 
and he said he was repeating the multiplication table over and over to steady his nerves and for pity's sake not to interrupt him because if he stopped for a moment he got frightened and forgot everything he ever knew but the multiplication table kept all his facts firmly in their proper place wow when we were assigned to our rooms miss stacy had to leave us jane and i sat together and jane was so composed that i envied her no need of the multiplication table for good steady sensible jane I wondered if I looked as I felt, and if they could hear my heart thumping clear across the room. Then a man came in and began distributing the English examination sheets. My hands grew cold. Then my head fairly whirled around as I picked it up. Just one awful moment, Diana, I felt exactly as I did four years ago when I asked Marilla if I might stay at Green Gables. Four years now. Wow. And then everything cleared up in my mind, and my heart began beating again. I forgot to say that it had stopped altogether, for I knew I could do something with that paper anyhow. So she has her confidence in English at least. At noon we went home for dinner, and then back again for history in the afternoon. The history was a pretty hard paper, and I got dreadfully mixed up in the dates. Still, I think I did fairly well today. But, oh, Diana, tomorrow the geometry exam comes off. <laughs> and when I think of it, it takes every bit of determination I possess to keep from opening my Euclid. If I thought the multiplication table would help me any, I would recite it from now till tomorrow morning. Geometry. Shake fist. <laughs> Her foe. <laughs> I went down to see the other girls this evening. On my way, I met Moody Spurgeon wandering distractedly around. He said he knew he had failed in history, and he was born to be a disappointment to his parents, and he was going home on the morning train, and it would be easier to be a carpenter than a minister, anyhow. I cheered him up and persuaded him to stay to the end, because it would be unfair to Miss Stacy if he didn't. Sometimes I have wished I was born a boy, but when I see Moody Spurgeon, I'm always glad I'm a girl, and not his sister. <laughs> Ruby was in hysterics, when I reached their boarding house. She had just discovered a fearful mistake she had made in her English paper. When she recovered, we went uptown and had an ice cream. How we wished you had been there with us. Oh, Diana, if only the geometry examination were over. <laughs> she might have changed, but she still has those moments of like, subtle drama. But there. As Mrs. Lynde would say, the sun will go on rising and setting whether I fail in geometry or not. That is true, but not especially comforting. I think I'd rather it didn't go on if I failed. Yours devotedly, Anne. The world should end if Anne should fail. Just yeah. so like the end of a right angle. Uh, yes. The geometry examination and all the others were over in due time, and Anne arrived home on Friday evening, rather tired, but with an air of chastened triumph about her. Diana was over at Green Gables when she arrived, and they met as if they had been parted for years. <laughs> you old darling, it's perfectly splendid to see you back again. It seems like an age since you went to town, and oh, Anne, how did you get along? Pretty well, I think, in everything but the geometry. I don't know whether I passed in it or not, and I have a creepy, crawly presentiment that I didn't. Oh, how good it is to be back. Green Gables is the dearest, loveliest spot in the world. How did the others do? The girls say they know they didn't pass, but I think they did pretty well. Josie said the geometry was so easy a child of ten could do it. Uh. Josie! 
Moody Spurgeon still thinks he failed in history, and Charlie says he failed in algebra. But we don't really know anything about it, and won't until the pass list is out. That won't be for a fortnight. Fancy living a fortnight in such suspense. I wish I could go to sleep and never wake up until it's over. Diana knew it would be useless to ask how Gilbert Blythe had fared, so she merely said, Oh, you'll pass all right, don't worry. I'd rather not pass at all than not come out pretty well up on the list, flashed Anne, by which she meant, and Diana knew she meant, that success would be incomplete and bitter if she did not come out ahead of Gilbert Blythe. <laughs> God. Still so petty. I mean, it's it's funny because she's like, ah, no, like I'm over it. I'd rather be his friend. But competition, <laughs> like competition, drives me. With this end in view, Anne had strained every nerve during the examinations. So had Gilbert. They had met and passed each other on the street a dozen times without any sign of recognition, and every and <laughs> I can't handle it because this this is her annoyed at him for not trying to resume the friendship. Again, like, it's one of those, oh, you're ignoring me? Fine, I'm going to ignore you back. Even though it was my reaction to your bad behavior in the beginning that got me to this, it's just... And a hundred years from now, the Blythes and the Shirleys will hate each other and no one will know why. (laughs) Um, I'm just going to go back. They had met and passed each other on the street a dozen times without any sign of recognition. And every time Anne had held her head a little higher and wished a little more earnestly that she had made friends with Gilbert when he had asked her, and vowed a little more determinedly to surpass him in all the examinations. She knew that all Avonlea Jr. was wondering which would come out first. She even knew that Jimmy Glover and Ned Wright had a bet on the question, and that Josie Pye had said there was no doubt in the world that Gilbert would be first, and she felt that her humiliation would be unbearable if she failed. It's Josie, man. Josie. It's all Josie. But she had another and nobler motive for wishing to do well. She wanted to pass high for the sake of Matthew and Marilla, especially Matthew. Matthew had declared to her his conviction that she would beat the whole island. That, Anne felt, was something it would be foolish to hope for, even in the wildest dreams. But she did hope fervently that she would be among the first ten at least, so that she might see Matthew's kindly brown eyes gleam with pride in her achievement. That, she felt, would be a sweet reward indeed for all her hard work and patient grubbing among unimaginative equations and conjugations. At the end of the fortnight, Anne took to haunting the post office. Also, in the distracted company of Jane, Ruby and Josie, opening the Charlottetown dailies with shaking hands and cold, sink-away feelings as bad as any experienced during the entrance week. Charlie and Gilbert were not above doing this too, but Moody Spurgeon stayed resolutely away. I haven't got the grit to go there and look at a paper in cold blood, he told Anne. I'm just going to wait until somebody comes and tells me suddenly whether I've passed or not. <laughs> that That's kind of an abdication of any responsibility. Like, I don't want to deal with this. <laughs> when three weeks had gone by without the pass list appearing, Anne began to feel that she really couldn't stand the strain much longer. Her appetite failed and her interest in Avonlea doings languished. Mrs. Lynde wanted to know what else you could expect with a Tory superintendent of education at the head of affairs, and Matthew, noting Anne's paleness and indifference and the lagging steps that bore her home from the post office every afternoon, began to seriously wonder if he hadn't better vote grit at the next election. Wow. (laughs) But one evening the news came. 
Anne was sitting at her open window, for the time forgetful of the woes of examinations and the cares of the world as she drank in the beauty of the summer dusk, sweet-scented with flower-breaths from the garden below and sibilant and rustling from the stir of poplars. The eastern sky above the firs was flushed faintly pink from the reflection of the west, and Anne was wondering dreamily if the spirit of colour looked like that when she saw Diana come flying down through the firs, over the log bridge and up the slope, with a fluttering newspaper in her hand. Anne sprang to her feet, knowing at once what that paper contained. The pass list was out. Her head whirled and her heart beat until it hurt her. Palpitations are not good. Palpitations are not good. <laughs> she could not move a step. It seemed an hour to her before Diana came rushing along the hall and burst into the room without even knocking, so great was her excitement. Anne, you've passed, she cried, passed the very first. You and Gilbert both, your ties, but your name is first. Oh, I'm so proud. Vindication. <laughs> Diana flung the paper on the table and herself on Anne's bed, utterly breathless and incapable of further speech. <laughs> Well, yeah. No, just like, the paper! <laughs> Anne lighted the lamp, oversetting the match safe and using up half a dozen matches before her shaking hands could accomplish the task. Then she snatched up the paper. Yes, she had passed. There was her name at the very top of a list of 200. That moment was worth living for. You did just splendidly, Anne, puffed Diana, recovering sufficiently to sit up and speak, for Anne, starry-eyed and rapt, had not uttered a word. Father brought the paper home from Bright River not ten minutes ago. It came out on the afternoon train, you know, and it won't be here until tomorrow by mail. When I saw the past list, I just rushed over like a wild thing. You've all passed, every one of you, Moody Spurgeon and all, although he's conditioned in history, so he's got a conditional pass. <laughs> Jane and Ruby did pretty well. They're halfway up, and so did Charlie. Josie just scraped through with three marks to spare, but you'll see she'll put on as many airs as if she'd led. Won't Miss Stacy be delighted? Actually, that's the issue with Josie. She has all these really nasty things to say, but isn't actually delivering much. That's why it's particularly... That's short, well, insecure. Mm. Oh, Anne, what does it feel like to see your name at the head of a pass list like that? If it were me, I know I'd go crazy with joy. I'm pretty near crazy as it is, but you're as calm and cool as a spring evening. I'm just dazzled inside, said Anne. I want to say a hundred things, and I can't find words to say them in. I never dreamed of this. Yes, I, I did too, just once. I let myself think once. What if I should come out first? quakingly, you know, for it seemed so vain and presumptuous to think I could lead the island. Excuse me a minute, Diana. I must run at, right out into the field to tell Matthew. Then we'll go up the road and tell the good news to the others. They hurried to the hayfield below the barn where Matthew was coiling hay, and, as luck would have it, Mrs. Lynde was talking to Marilla on the fence lane. Oh, Matthew, exclaimed Anne, I've passed and I'm first. Or one of the first. I'm not vain, but I'm thankful. Well, now, I always said it, said Matthew, gazing at the pass list delightedly. I knew you could beat them all easy. You've done pretty well, I must say, Anne, said Marilla, trying to hide her extreme pride in Anne from Mrs. Rachel's critical eye. But that good old soul said heartily, 
I just guess she has done well, and far be it for me to be backward in saying it. You're a credit to your friends, Anne. That's what, and we're all proud of you. It's, it's funny that Marilla's like, I must show that I am disciplined and tempered, and I do not spoil her. But Mrs. Lynn's like, oh, whatever. She's awesome. <laughs> that night, Anne, who had wound up the delightful evening with a serious little talk with Mrs. Allen at the manse, knelt sweetly by her open window in a great sheen of moonshine and murmured a prayer of gratitude, an aspiration that came straight from her heart. There was in it thankfulness for the past, a reverent petition for the future. And when she slept on her white pillow, her dreams were fair and bright and beautiful as maidenhood might desire. Ah, Wonderful. Wonderful, sir. So she... she She's smart as a bullet. She's smart as a bullet. I don't... Why is a bullet smart? I need to know this now. No. That's not even the saying. I think I've mixed them up with something probably, else. Probably. Probably. Quick as a bullet. Quick as a whip. Quick as a, yeah, I don't know. That's there are some expressions in English that make no sense. What does make sense is Anne passing. Well, Anne passing, yes. Leading the island, well, yes. Um, well, tying lead for the island. This is <laughs> I like how Diana immediately goes. But you, your name's first, <laughs> so you tied. But you're first. You're first. You're actually first. Oh, A is before G. If you're going by first name basis, of course. I think that's... Yeah, I think that's what they're doing. That would make sense. Otherwise, Gilbert would be first because B comes before S. It could have been that, or they maybe like the way the, the fonts... I don't know. There's got to be logic. Mm. Ladies before gentlemen? I don't know. Maybe. Surely Anne must be first. Oh, bad. 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 But yeah, I, I can relate to the, you know, the... Uh, the fear of exams, the thinking that went horribly when you walk out of exams. I remember when we used to get our university grades in the newspaper. Oh. Yep. That was that was something. Like, you, you had to know your student number. Like It wasn't a case yeah, of yeah. your name. But, oh, yeah, I think it was the first year of uni they did that. Second year, they, they stopped doing that. So I was on that cusp. When they used to do publication and then not mm. as much. But my gosh, that was... And everyone's just like, come on. Grades. So even graduating from, from high school, that was another one where we're like, come on, give us our grades, give us our grades, give us our final grades. Uh, and I actually relate to her exam a lot. Because when she said, oh, when we did the test exam, I wasn't nervous. Mm-hmm. And then the final exam, I was really, really nervous. Yeah. I had that situation as well because we, we used to have our... Um, yeah, te- standardized test thingy that we used to do, and and test exams are te- are just uh, examples. Yes. Or what's the word I'm looking for? They're they're not the real thing. So yeah. so you know intellectually you know that, and the the nervousness you would have in the real exam doesn't manifest itself. Exactly. The, 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 I mean, it could depending. I never did well on mock exams, and then the actual exam would happen, oh, okay. and I do, and I don't know why. Huh. I needed the pressure to actually do better. Huh. No, I've heard a lot of people are like that. They need mm. the deadlines. They need the pressure. Uh, it's something to do with possibly ADHD. Or maybe I had a flu. or We don't know. The mysteries of it will be lost to the ages and it really doesn't really matter. Um, but yeah, I, I also know a lot of people who are really, they understand the material, but exams don't help them at all. In fact, there's a whole discussion on whether assessment... Um, 
assessment that's static is not always that helpful. Well, it's not universally helpful. It's good for some of the population that are good at recalling information or recalling and applying, but it doesn't necessarily cover, like, what's the purpose of assessment is a, is a whole can of worms that you can look at in education. The idea of using assessment as feedback to actually learn is more important. Mm. But we also need something to indicate that this is a person who grasps XYZ material. So it's it's a very, it's a great discussion well, that you could And we come at it from uh, opposite sides because you've mainly had your uh, tertiary study in STEM where I've been in the humanities. And I did, in, no, I did education for a bit. Okay. Well, yeah, because um, in the humanities, I mean, there are exams in certain uh, subjects, but mostly it's a lot of essay writing. Well, that's the thing. In STEM, it's also a mix. You'll have people who, the certain subjects and topics where it's an essay or it's a presentation. Um, education, a lot of it is was practical, um, but also analysis or actually the way that I did one assignment was a bit funny. We had an assignment where we had to look at the, um, it was for the psychology, education, pedagogy, kind of the idea of using psychology in the classroom, classroom management, things. So they gave us cases and they said, okay, now pick a case, now like write an essay on this topic. And I ended up doing it as a report as opposed to an essay. So the first time around, I got a, um, the head tutor failed it, then looked at it again and I got an email like within 24 hours of the fail they I didn't have to ask them to review it they looked at it themselves and then they realized oh you've written it as a report as opposed to an essay but we didn't actually explicitly state that it had to be an essay they just said um cover this topic and when you come at it from from science background you're going to write things yeah more as case studies or reports or things like that you don't you don't you can write essays, but they're not the same structure. Yeah. It's very weird. But anyway, uh, looking at assessment and looking at exam- examinations as a... How much, how much of it actually... I mean, we need something, but how, how it works is not always how it works. If that makes yeah. sense. And, and the effective. ability to demonstrate knowledge of material is different for different people. It essentially uh, helps you... Those who do well are people who recall are able to store information, recall information in a short amount of time, and depending on how the examination is structured, apply it. That's a thing you just for fun, if you're anyone's interested and is slightly over their assessment trauma from their high school days, you can look up the uh, uh, person from the US doing the British assessment, uh, like final assessments, and a person from the UK doing the American kind of final assessments, like how their exams work. And they're completely different structures. So you've got application and questions and, and, and multiple choice and things. And the ratio of the amount of multiple choice, like you don't see as much multiple choice in the British um, work as you do working out the actual I think work. here in Queensland, I remember there was, I mean, it was over a week, you know, and like, like this, like Anne's exam, it was... Uh, cut up into different uh, Subject, yeah. subjects, but I do. Rem- yeah, I remember a lot of them being multiplication or 
Yeah, multiple... Multiple choice. Multiple choice, yeah. Yes, I figured... because I, I was thinking in my head about maths. Yes, yes. Which was always one of my weakest subjects at school. But then there was an essay writing for the English. Oh, or no, it wasn't an essay. It, it was it on was, the subject. It was a fic piece of fiction. Yeah, depending on what was on the curriculum. I mean, everything has changed since, we should say... How, oh, yeah. Everything has changed since our Well, time. I mean, we're ancient, so who knows yes, how exactly. the schools work now. Well, I, I knew that they were, I was doing my teaching prac when they were slowly phasing out. Like when I was doing my teaching prac, grade, I think grade sevens or eights were going to be the last, the ones that had just been the newest intake were going to be the last people who used the um, QCS. Okay. And yes, they have graduated since. If you don't do international baccalaureate, you do the standard one and now we have more uh, a blend of standardized examinations and the grading everything has changed a bit yeah it's interesting it will constantly shift and change and it'll depend on well and you want that too like um you know there was a line in uh, that chapter about Miss Stacy's approach to education was being frowned upon by Mrs. Lind and a lot of the other school's trustees because it's the idea of this has always worked. Why are you doing something new? Yeah, and they're trying something new and doing something new that that's relatively... And it's interesting actually reflecting on that because that's something you see constantly. As soon as a new method... I mean, new doesn't always equal good. Let's be clear. Yeah. But if we aren't willing to explore and test out and trial out new to identify what works and learn from one another, then yeah, I, especially I, in education, it should be a field of learning. It, it, you see it reflected everywhere. The way we're doing things has always worked. And it's always that frustration. Like, well, what if we tried this thing and it worked even, you know, 1% better? It would be worth going with that, wouldn't it? Also, it doesn't necessarily work. It works your your our needs and our goals have changed the reason for example educational models have shifted and you look at finland which has a really fascinating approach to education that seems to be very successful is because the the kind of uh outcomes needed have has changed what is necessary what we value in our population has now changed in terms of economically value in terms of qualities and skills that are beneficial to the workforce but also society well even even the idea of education itself or you know um the the basically uh sit still for eight hours a day to tr uh to prepare you for factory life yeah. i mean to be honest the model hasn't shifted too strongly from that original or well, it hadn't it's changed a bit um but yes, our approach is now we integrate neuroscience. We integrate, I mean, we've always integrated some sort of psychology, but our understanding of psychology keeps changing and, and enhancing. That's the point, research. Yeah. Um, but Move with the times, as it, yeah. the saying is. Exactly, and I think that that's really good. If anyone is ever interested, the, the amount of re, like re, research into how education seems to have shifted and changed... Uh, I mean, yes, there's a million and a half TED Talks. That's one option. Another is you can look into the science of learning and capacity building. Fascinating topics. Uh, Carol Dweck is really good. Um, if you're W-E-C-K, Dweck. Okay. Recommended. Um, that's this idea of grow, like constantly growth learning. But she also explains it gets 
in inappropriately applied in classrooms when you try and mass make, you know mass production never really works out well you know that that's an issue i'm finding when i'm tutoring children in reading like a one-on-one situation is ideal because then you you match yourself to the needs of the student yeah. but you know when you've got a 90 minute session and there are five children it's hard and you you've got to um make sure they're all getting through as much as possible but you're able to basically it's a huge juggling act that uh, luckily I'm still a teacher's aide. So I, I'm kind of just helping juggle that myself. I, I'm not in charge. I'm not chief juggler. Yeah, you're the ooh, there's a there's a, a pin on the floor. Let me throw that. Uh, what's it? Uh, bowling pin. Let me just chuck that bowling pin back into your um, or let me hold on to this whilst you. Juggle the rest of them, yeah. Or it's like, I'm looking after this kid. Can you give this one the spelling test? Can you, uh, oh, you know, it's taken this kid 15 minutes on the computer. What what are they having trouble with? And, you know, half the time it's just they feel more confident if someone's there Near them. as a presence just yeah. working through. Well, okay, basically, yes, it's just every every child is an individual. Well, every person is an individual and it's I imagine this is the greatest conflict with being a teacher in any yeah. environment. The it would be just incredibly arrogant to assume that every teacher has not considered this problem no, that, no, that every, they need yeah, to teach absolutely to, every, to an individual, but they have an entire classroom. In and many. then you've got other priorities that are placed on you by the actual being a teacher is one of the toughest. I, I don't like calling it a job. It's not a job. Also, don't think it's a career. I think that much like it should be in medicine um, and it should be in, in healthcare, and it should be in most of these, most of these spaces that involve potentially vulnerable populations and shape the future of our society, um, they should be a calling. And a calling indicates that there is more to it. Like, you need something to sustain your drive. Well, uh, to me, uh, I was talking to this about, sorry, I was talking about this in regards to writers, because if you talk to any, like, person who's, who is a writer, not just, you know, someone who dabbles, yeah. basically, it's like anyone who has any creative drive, it's not a question of writing. It's that they have to. Yeah. They, they can't do anything else. Or, you know, if, a musician or or an artist, a, a, a painter. They, mm. No matter what, they have to do this. It, and I think what you're talking about, calling, yeah, th there are certain people when it comes to medicine, when it comes to teaching, when it comes to carpentry. or Whatever you, know, you do. There are people that are just, yeah. it's like they were born to to pursue this and, and i think we we don't necessarily as a society value just the amount of pressure our our teachers are under yeah um and yes our students are as well because our systems are not you know we, we, this it, it's that's another massive yes. we, we went into a bit of it when we we're discussing 1984 but I, even here with anne we have these she's just frankly gone this is my struggle subject that's Charlie struggles with this, so and, so and and just showing every one of them has their abilities, their skills, their weaknesses. Mm. I mean, in this case, it was focusing on subjects they struggled with. Um, but this is even with a teacher who actually cares 
Yes. And was giving them the time and actually working through things with them. Yeah. And not even using a generalized approach. That's the thing. She would talk to them specifically and yeah. directly and look at their strengths and their weaknesses. So it's... it's that, that Miss Stacy is... Uh, she knows what she's doing. Well, she's teaching because she has a... Like, Miss Stacy clearly loves bringing out the best in her students, whatever that happens to be. Hmm. And that's, I think, the um, the main things. Like seeing yourself as, yeah, seeing your students as individuals. And it's hard for teachers because they do, but at the same time, they're told, they're, they're juggling not only the classroom, they're juggling the priorities of different systems. And it's frustrating. But that's where pedagogy and philosophies and teaching philosophies and finding a workplace where your teaching philosophy works and uh anyway there is a reason i am not an active teacher <laughs> uh <laughs> there's one very big reason and one is pretty much the the system is not it i i well and i imagine um because it'd be the same for me if i was trying it full-time i'm i'm on you know yeah i, I work very reduced hours because uh Oh, my time and energy reserves. Are... It's phys- physically when you have physical and mental um, barriers, it is not like with any workplace. Really, it's not super ideal. And in that case, you know, then then the guilt heaps on you because I should be giving these kids more than what I'm able it's, to. Well, especially if you're a teacher, which most teachers, I want to say, or just the, I, I believe that most teachers genuinely want to do the best by their students and do get that sense of guilt. As They're to, certainly not in it for the money. Uh, but there's one thing that, I mean, they were mentioning this in healthcare, and it definitely comes up in, in, in childcare, and it definitely comes up in any sort of situation where your, your humanity is n- not always aligned with. So your values of humanity and what is required from the system clash and there's the word of moral injury um which is a whole nother topic which might be fascinating but like they become one term is is compassion burnout but i most most people who discuss it don't like that term because it's not that you don't compassion is endless the whole point of compassion is that it is endless no no i think i know exactly what you mean i had an I was the editor for a website, and one of the reasons I quit was because the compromises that my bosses were putting on yeah. me uh, in terms of what I thought was ethical towards what we were yeah. doing, eventually I finally just gave in and I stopped caring. And yeah. I was on my way out then, but then there was a very blatant, they lied right to me about something, and then that was it. Yeah. I put and that's the thing. Yeah. That's how we call it. It's it's That's why moral injury is a more accurate term than compassion burnout. Mm. But, I mean, that other people will yeah, argue. Uh, un, under, but for un, us, for un, me, I don't Underneath my apathy, I still cared about the work, but it was just, it felt like I wasn't being trusted or able to do you, my you, best. You lose your integrity. You lose who you, you like... The person you want to be, the way you want to act in the world is completely at odds with what your workplace is demanding of you. And that, that, that can happen in any workplace, mind you. But it's, I think when you know that you have vulnerable or where you have the responsibility over the lives of others, and this in this, in this case, education, you have a responsibility over the lives mm-hmm. of others, 
for their mental and their development and education and understanding and interaction in the world, social development. Mm -hmm. Then you've got doctors and nurses and physios and just healthcare providers whose physical and potentially psychological lives are also in their hands. So it's, it's very, it's big. It's a lot of responsibility. And so maybe a little bit more compassion for our different people will go a long way. But on that note, let us have a look at the title of the next chapter. Chapter 33, The Hotel Concert. Going in for a bit more levity next time, I believe. I believe levity, yes, yes. You know, now that the the stress of the exams are over. Mm-hmm. Well, oh, that will be wonderful. But this is why I love the podcast. You know, we, we spent a couple chapters with Anne, who's just a delight, as I've said many times before. But we also got into a, a very fulfilling conversation right at the end based off what we just read. Yeah. It, that, that's what we're here for. Sometimes it doesn't seem directly related, but there's a way. It connects. There's always a link. There's always a link. There's a trigger. So... Wrapping up, the music at the top of the podcast was Avonlea by Hagrid Hardy. The music at the end is I'm the Slime by Frank Zappa. You can find me over on Twitter at Dave underscore the underscore turnip. You can find me at Rue McMoo, that's R-O-O-M-C-M-O-O. If you would like to contact the podcast page on Twitter or Facebook, it is at SMBSLT Podcast. And if you would like to email us, it is smbsltpodcast at gmail.com. Please get your reviews, your comments in. You can comment on the Facebook page, on the actual, you know, when it's related to a chapter release, comment on that. You can add reviews. You can send us a Twitter message. Mm -hmm. You can tweet us, email us. You can share the podcast with your friends. If, if you so desire, you can share the podcast with your friends. It's all fun time. Share it with your enemies. Maybe they'll learn something. So Even if you want to share it to mock us, we don't mind. It's okay. Just don't be mean to us directly. Constructive feedback is an accepted exception because well, that's not mean. That went dark. <laughs> yes. These are the internets we live in. It is the internet times we live in, yes. It was the blurst of time. So, without further ado, till next week. Bye. Bye. <laughs>